theyeshiva.net. We begin today, Be'ezer Hashem Yisbaruch, a new discussion, a new topic, a new mimer in Chesedus. As you can open it up, you'll see on the top it says, Be'ez HaMachdalad, Shabbos Parshas Re'ei, Mevarchem HaChodesh Elul, Hei Tovshin Yud Be'ez. This is a a mimer, a Hasidic discourse that was delivered by the Lubavitcher Rebbe during the Fabrengen of Shabbos Parshas Re'eh, the last Shabbos of the month of Av, which was Shabbos Mavarchim of Elul, of the year Tovshin Yud Beis, which would of course be the summer of 1952. We, uh, the last few weeks, we've been learning the mimer of the previous Fabrengen, which was Shabbos Parshas Matos Masai Tavshin Yud Beis, the whole mimer about murder, Shvichas Domim spilling blood, and a person running away into the Ari Miklat, into the cities of refuge, and other Mauritian with the Eitz Hadas, and everything connected to uh, the two types of lives, the real life, the fake life, the life that tries to make believe it's real, and the life that has true essential substance. That was the theme of the previous Maimir, which was the previous Fabreng and Shabbos Matas Masim of Varchim Av. So now we learn the next one, which is which is Shabbos Parshas Re'eh Tav Shinyud Beis, which is of course also connected to this time of the year. Really to give a just a very brief introduction of a few sentences, this is really a, a Maimir, that allows us to appreciate some aspects of what real davening is. As you know, davening, prayer, is something that is so essential to Judaism, the fact that we do it three times a day, and yet very often, davening is very hard for us. For many people, it's just seen as an exercise in boredom, monotony, or just something, you know, you do by rote and uh, get it over with. Even those who are not doing it by rote, but they often, you know, on an honest moment, they'll tell you it's it seems repetitive and, and boring and, you know, is it really meaningful? Is it really significant? What are we supposed to make of it? What is supposed to happen during davening? You know, what if you're not in the mood of davening and, every single day, and how many praises does Hashem want to hear from us, and constantly, you know, different types of questions that come up concerning davening. And a very, at a very young age, here, I think this mimer will give each of us a, a, an ability, a possibility to be able to enter into the world of davening and see it from a, a more wholesome and more soulful, deeper perspective intellectually, and emotionally, and psychologically, and spiritually. And realize how it's really the daily exercise, the daily battle for for transcendence, for truth in a person's life. The Maimon doesn't right away get into davening. There's a few introductions. As usual, you know, you lay out the pieces and build the foundations, and then on it, he goes to the next piece. But I'm just giving this very general uh, theme that we're going to be addressing. Let's start inside. It starts off with a pasuk in Sheh Hashirim, very famous pasuk that's connected to uh, to this time of the year, the end of Av, the beginning of Elul. Or getting, uh, not yet the end of Av, but you know, getting closer to the second half of Av. It's a little bit of a longer mimer, so next week is Parshas Re'es. I thought we'll start this week. So hopefully we'll finish around that time. Thank you. So he starts off with a pasuk in Sheh Hashirim, Perik Vav. The Pasuk is well known. This is from Shir Hashirim, Perik Vav, Pasuk Gimel. That's the Song of Songs, chapter 6, verse 3. And uh, just to give it context, we all know that Shir Hashirim is that unique sefer that Shloim HaMelech wrote that really covers the deep search and love and relationship between Doidi, there's the lover and the beloved. 
this young boy and this young girl who, he's a shepherd, and he meets her in the field one day, and they develop this connection. And the whole Shir Hashirim revolves around the search for the relationship. And this relationship is filled with obstacles. Everyone is trying to ruin it. And they themselves sometimes undermine it. And the whole Shir Hashirim is different scenes, different encounters, different phases in their encounters. Chapter 6 begins with a search. It starts off with these words, and I'm going to quote, so we get the context. Where has your beloved gone? Where has your beloved gone? Oh, most beautiful of women. Where has your beloved went to? Let's search for him together with you. That's the question that they ask. They turn to the woman, to the to the bride, to the young woman. Where is this doidech? Let's go search for him. Where is he? So she says, "Doidi yarad leganoi larugas haboisim liris beganim velilkotcheshanim." My beloved descended into the garden. Arugais haboisim to the rose of fragrant flowers. He went to shepherd in the gardens and to pluck roses. That's where my beloved went. And she continues, I am to my beloved. My beloved is connected to me, the one who shepherds, who grazes among the roses, among the rose-like pastures. That's the Pasuk. And then the groom starts talking about his bride, about the young girl. You know, Yafa Atra Yossi how my love is so beautiful. And he begins describing, you know, different aspects of her life, of her countenance, of her of her demeanor, of her organism, etc. So this is all, it's, it's deep, and it's metaphoric. So these are the words that we focus on. I am committed, I am connected, I am in love with my doidi, and my doidi is connected to me. Doidi is like the word yidid. Yidid is a friend, like a best friend. In Hebrew today we call doid an uncle. Doid really is a connection of, of deep friendship, camaraderie, affection, love. And it says, So he says, So it's a well-known idea. It comes from the Arizal. It says in Reish's Chachma. It says in the Bach, the Bayez Chadash, that it's the acronym of the words Elul. The opening letters is Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Lamed. Ani, Ledoi, Di, Vidoi, Di, Li. And the last letters are Yud, 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 right? Ani, Ledoi, Di, Vidoi, Di, Li. Yud is 10, so 4 times Yud is 40. That represents 40 days beginning with Elul, or Shchaydich Elul, till Yom Kippur, which is 30 days of Elul and 10 days of Tishr. The Biyoyim HaKippurim, Hugmara, Slicho, Mechilo, Kaparash, Adeva, Desachuva, the Shchaydich Elul. You can ask something is strange. The acronym of the opening letters is the month of Elul. The last letters represents another 10 days till Yom Kippur. Where did you get another 10 days? He says, because Yom Kippur is the ultimate atonement and forgiveness, which happens through the Avayid of Tshuva throughout the month of Elul. This means both the opening letters and the last letters of this verse, capture or they intimate the month of Elul. Now, Shir Hashirim was, of course, written so, so long ago. But in Torah, you have codes and Ramazim intimations of all aspects of Jewish life, especially that the month of Elul and the concept of Elul already began in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. So even though the Pasuk is talking about a relationship, but in that Pasuk, the Achroinim, the, the Mekobolim, in the Middle Ages, saw this as a remez for Elul. 
Now the main avoid of Elul, which is connected to Tshuva, is always about ascending. Milmata Lamaila. Milmata literally means from below, Lamaila to a higher place. It's about human growth. That's why the order is, I am to Doidi and Doidi is to me. Earlier in Shir Hashirim, this is from chapter 6. If you go back to chapter 2, there's another expression. In Shir Hashirim, chapter 2, Pasuk Tazayin, chapter 2, verse 16, over there the expression is, also ends off with But basically she's saying, Doidi, my beloved, is mine, he belongs to me, and I belong to him, the one who grazes among the roses. Here the expression is the opposite, not doidi li vaniloi, but anila doidi vidoidi li. What's the difference? The difference is who's initiating the connection. Sometimes the connection is being initiated from ani, from me, and sometimes the connection is being initiated from daidi, just like we know in relationships. Sometimes you initiate it, you're striving for it, you're running after it, you're pursuing it, and sometimes, no, you actually could be apathetic and indifferent. You may actually be living in in a narrow orbit, but rather... The other one, the one who is crazy over you, the one who cherishes you so much, persists. (laughs) They believe in you even when you don't believe in yourself. So there's two different phases in life. There's ani le doidi vidoidi li, that's in Perik Vav. Earlier in Perik Bez is doidi li vani lai. They both finish the same. What's the difference? So the Maimah says the difference is, First doidi, and then I respond. I cannot refuse and stubbornly abandon and be indifferent to such a powerful opportunity. In Zoya there's an expression, meaning an arousal. From above and an arousal from below. Both get inspired, but who begins the process? Doidili is the arousal, the inspiration comes from above. Here it's a different avoider. It's not this iris, the arousal, the awakening doesn't begin above, it begins below. I reach out, I am committed to you, and therefore there is reciprocity. It's always the question is, and remember these words, does it begin with his harusa de la'ela, does it begin with harusa de la sata? Two different experiences in life. One is, I'm sitting on the couch, or I'm doing my own thing, in different ways, however you want to describe your own thing. But there is something that is inspiring me, something that is intriguing me, something that is arousing me, something that is awakening me. Even though I am my own, left to my own devices, I would be forlorn. And that is what gets me. And then there is sometimes the opposite. I'm actually the ambitious one in the relationship I'm pursuing it. So here, which is a remez, doesn't have the remez of Elul. Because it's the avoida of the person growing, the person traveling upward. It's when the person feels that internal desire and yearning to, 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 to change, to work on themselves. As we will explain at length, this is just the you know the laying out some of the main points. The end of the pasuk is who is this doidi? He grazes, he shepherds among the roses. Let's 
Literally, it's referring to my doidi, the kavanas akasov. The mulvat inyan anila doidi, the doidi, liyashna inyan noisav daraya b'shashanam, v'tzarech lava na inyan b'zah. The Pasuk seems strange. I am committed to Mdoidi. I love my beloved. My beloved loves me too. Afterwards. And then we start talking about the fact that he's a shepherd and he grazes his flock among roses. Okay, it seems like, is this a, what's the point here? What is this Pasuk trying to add? What's the, what's the sequence? <laughs> The way it's explained sometimes, Haraya B'Shashanim represents that there is a heavenly power that's given to me for my Avaidah, for my work. Literally. What does it mean he grazes or he shepherds among the roses? It means he takes care of his flock. He doesn't just take his flock you know, to to places where there's uh, there's poor nutrition. No, he takes them to the best. He gives his son, he gives his herds krem dala krem, He wants them to get the best nutrients. He wants them to pasture to pasture among the roses, among the be- beauty, among the fragrant flowers, where the the, the sheep can. Feel taken care of. That's Haraya B'Shashanam. Spiritually, what does this mean? Haraya B'Shashanam means he takes care of his flock. He wants his flock to have roses. So this represents that Daidi Li, he takes care. He wants the flock to be able to be among roses, giving them the best opportunities, giving them a power for the best life. But here we have to understand if this is the Kadapshah, the Mekivan, the Koyakan, the Satshuva, the Chaydushal. But here we really have to understand because there's a subtle contradiction. If you're telling me, is about the initiation, the, tr- the arousal, the awakening that comes from below, it's not the one that starts above. It starts with me. It starts with Anila Daidi. Haraya B'Shashanam is actually saying, no, he is the one who is empowering the flock, grazing the flock among, great shepherding the flock among the roses, which represents the fact that he is the one who is giving them the kayak, giving them the energy, giving them the strength, awakening them, showing them how powerful this relationship can be. From here you see that even with the arousal from below, you also need power from above. You also need encouragement and strength from above. It's not completely from the person. We have to understand what exactly is this. So then everything is this Arusa Dalayla. In other words, what is really the distinction? If you're telling me that even Anila Daidi Vidaidili needs the Haraya Bishashanam, you need the shepherd to take care of the Shafalah. So then ultimately, what's the difference between this Arusadullah and the beginning of the explanation is the Hini Binyan Araya Bishashanam Yesh base Pirush. The words are Raya B'Sheshanim, he shepherds his flag among the roses. We find generally two interpretations. Pirish Aleph 1 is Kedisa B'Zoyar. It says in Zoyar, this is the introduction of the whole Zoyar. Ma'ashashani is betreser alin, ufknasis Israel is betreser mechilin derachami de sosrulim mechol sitra. The Zoyar says that the rose has 13 petals. We know it as the 13 petaled rose. There are the roses that have 13 petals. Says the Zoya, just like the rose has 13 petals, 13 leaves. Knesset Yisrael also has 13 chambers of compassion that encompass it from all sides, just like the petals of the rose. You have the stem of the rose and then you have all of the petals surrounding it. The Knesset Yisrael is also a 13 petaled rose. And this is known as the 13 attributes of compassion. That's the explanation of the Zoyar. What's the significance of shepherding among the roses? He shepherds us among the roses. In other words, we are encompassed like the rose by 13 petals. 
Or Pidish Beis is another interpretation, also from Zoyar, and it's also in Gemara and Shabbos Lamed, Kemaimed Azal, Sheshanim, Sheshanim B'Tayra. Sheshanim doesn't have Nekudas, we read it Sheshanim. Shin Shin Nun Yud Mem, you can also pronounce Sheshanim, they learn. Like Shaina Alachis, right? Kala Shaina Alachis. Shaina, Mishnah, you learn. Sheshanim is they learn. Ulafize Yud Gimel Alim, Hem Yud Gimel Midas, Shatayin and Adreshes Behem. The th- now the 13 petaled rose is the 13 middas through which we expound the Torah. Every morning, right before davening, before Haidu, we say, Rabbi Yishmael Oimer, remember? Bishloish Esrei Middas, HaToyrin Idreshes Behem. There are 13 methods through which we expound on Torah. This is the formula that Moshe Rabbeinu gave the Jewish people, through which we can deduce all of the halachas of Torah. Because the text of the Torah is limited in the sense that it only addresses certain situations, and even there, even those situations, very briefly. So, how do we apply halacha to all different situations in life that will spring up throughout history? You have a text, but a text, by definition, is a limited text. It may contain guidelines and blueprints and directives for thousands of years, for eternity. But you have to know how to unravel the text, how to use this text as a source for a legal question or another type of question in subsequent years. So this is where the Shlosh Esri Midas come in. Moshe Rabbeinu gave the Jewish people not only the text of Chumash, he also gave them the formula of how to learn Chumash, how to deduce Chumash, how to, unra- how to unravel the text, how to excavate the text, how to deduce from the text the applied laws in different situations and circumstances that have not been addressed explicitly in the text, or even new situations that will come up that couldn't have been addressed in the text because they weren't part of that period, that milieu of history. These are called the Shlosh Esrimidus. And we go through them every single day. It's from Teres Kayanim, the beginning of Teres Kayanim Vayikra, which is the main medrash on, on Sefer Vayikra. And... It begins with this Kalvachaymer, this Gzerishava, this Binyanov, this Klalaprat, this Pratoklal. Right? You remember Davashaiba Klavayatsamanaklal. Till the last one, Shnake Suvamakhishim Zazatrivakaswashrihbine. Now, these thirteen formulas, as you can imagine, are loaded, meaning they really capture the formula, the methodology of how to learn. So the Rebbe says, these are the two Shoshanims. There are two thirteens. There's the Yudgimel Midas HaRachimim, the thirteen petaled rose. The thirteen attributes of compassion. That's one dimension of the rose. And then there's another dimension of the roses. Shoshanim from the word Shashoinim, because the Torah is also comprised of these thirteen, the thirteen petaled rose. And of course, as you can probably guess, the Yudgimel Midas HaTorin Adreshes Ben. Parallel the Yud Gimel Midasarachimim. You say, what in the world is the connection between 13 attributes of compassion and 13 methods of learning? But they really parallel each other. The Shaloh even writes that the 13 principles of faith, the Rambam famously gave us the 13 Animamins, the Yud Gimel Ikarim, the 13 fundamentals of Jewish faith. Many people say the Animamin every day goes through all the 13. It's also a reflection of these 13. Midas Rachamim and 13 Midas Shatayrin Adreshes Ben. And it's interesting, it's called Yud Gimel Midas Shatayrin Adreshes Ben. Even though it's not Midas, it's not emotions, it's intellectual formulas, it's the methodology of how to learn Torah, of how the sages can really interpret Torah. But it's called Midas, which means measurements. There's a beautiful word from the Noyam Elimelech. The Rebbe Rebbe Elimelech of Lezhensk writes in Noyam Elimelech, listen to this, he says, Rabbi Shmuel Aimer, Bishloish Esrei Midis Hatayr Nidreshes Ben. So he says, Bishloish Esrei Midis Hatayr Nidreshes. Only somebody who cultivated the thirteen Midos Harachimim in their life, this is a person who can expound on Tayr. Hatayr Nidreshes. In other words, somebody who has mastered in their life all of these thirteen attributes of compassion. Hashem Hashem Kel Rachum Vechanon Erech Apayim Rav Chesed Vemes Noitzer Chesed Alav, which we also say in the morning by Tachnon. You b'shloishes remidis hatoyin nidreshes. Nidreshes is actually passive; it's a passive expression. When you have these thirteen midis, the Torah darshensich. 
Now the person is, has that ability to be able to, that Torah flows from them. That the energy that comes from their soul can actually be the energy of Torah. So these are the two interpretations in the Shoshanim and the Roses. The These two roads of Shoshanim represent the two pillars of Torah and prayer. The 13 petaled rose representing the 13 attributes of compassion, that's part of the tefillah. That's part of davening. It's the essential component of davening. The second idea of the rose, from the word shayshanim, shayshayim, the yudgimul midos, shatoyrin adreshes ben, this is obviously the world of toyr, of learning. Nimtze de shira kosavu daidea mida b'shashanim. Hainu anisinus koyach bebezen yanam de toyr otfil, aideze yavaydad anil doidi vidoidid li. If so, we now come to the next layer of understanding the Pasuk. I am committed to my beloved. My beloved is connected to me. He gazes his shepherd. He grazes and shepherds his flock among the roses. This is both the divine empowerment for Torah and the divine empowerment for tefillah, the two interpretations in Shoshanim. And only through the Raya B'Shoshanim can there be the Anila Doidi V'Doidili. To explain all of this, what are we talking about? This is all just facts, so to speak, you know, the setup. What is the explanation in this? Judaism is really based on these two pillars. There's Torah and there's Tefillah. They're not just two different things you do. You daven and you learn. That's, of course, the basic idea of it. But Torah and Tefillah represent two dimensions of life. Two paths in life. There's the Avoidah that's Malmata Lamayla and the Avoidah Malmayla Lamata. Malmata Lamayla means I begin on the bottom, so to speak, and I climb the ladder upward. Malmayla Lamata is the opposite. It's a flow from higher downward. It begins on top of the ladder and it flows, it descends downward. The Torah represents an energy that comes from above and descends below. Tfila represents an energy that begins below and ascends upward. Now what does this mean? It sounds like semantics. You begin above and you descend downward. You begin below and you ascend upward. What does this really mean? What does it mean? So first, he speaks briefly about Torah, and then the rest of the Maimer is focused very specifically and in nuance and detail on Tefillah. Torah is Malmaila Lamata, the Mashi Yisrael Kiblu Asa Torah, but even the Matan Torah. The time we got the Torah, it's called Matan Torah. It's not called the Yom Tev of Kabbalah Satayda. It's the Yom Tev of Zman, Matan Torah Seinu. Hashem gave the Torah. It represents a gift from above that was not initiated by the work of those who did it, which is like a gift. You give me a gift, a gift is not a wage. A gift is a bonus. It's a special gesture. In other words, it's a matan taida, it's a matone. It's something that's not coming from the one who received the gift. It's a gift. When the Jews were in Egypt, they were submerged in the 49 gates of impurity, as the Chazal tells us. And he says in Yiddish, he said it all in Yiddish, but this is written in Yiddish because of the the flavor of Yiddish. Even though the Jews left Egypt and they ran, it says, the Jewish people ran. You remember we discussed this at length before Pesach. We learned then the Maimer Matzah from the Rebbe Rashab. We discussed the idea that they ran, they fled. In other words, what does it mean they fled? Fleeting means that if you don't run away, you get stuck. I can't walk, I have to run. Why do I have to run? Because if I walk slowly, 
I may never leave. I have to actually run away. You say, I ran out of the situation. I ran out of the house. Why do I have to run out of the house? Because if I would stay there, it could be very dangerous. I ran out of this toxic relationship. I ran out of this deal. I ran away from this place. Because it's a dangerous place to be in. Even another minute. If you stay, you may stay forever. So you have to run. So the Jewish people, to their credit, ran away from Mitzrayim. What does this mean? It means irrelevant of their situation. They did not allow themselves to become entangled with their sitra akhir. Shaklavataya means you get into a debate. You say this, I say this, you say this. And this happens in our mind. You ever do this? Your mind starts giving you a thought and you start arguing with the mind. Oy, 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 oy. The worst thing, that's exactly what your toxic thoughts want you to do. Get into an argument with me. You know why? Because your toxicity doesn't even have to win. It just wants to keep you in the loop of this debate. Chavre, know what I'm talking about? Something happens in the morning and your mind starts racing and giving you thoughts and ideas, so you start arguing with it. No, it's not true. No, it is true. No, it's not true. And then you start bringing statistics, and you start bringing proofs, and the toxicity is loving every minute, because the main thing is, you're schlepped down, your energy is now depleted, and you're now in this hide-and-seek game, you know? You're busy in this orbit arguing if it's true or not true. The whole argument is just here to get you stuck. This is not an argument coming from a place of empowerment. We think we're going to convince our toxic our toxic voices that we're right, and therefore it's going to let you, let, let you be alone. It's going to you know, leave you alone. It's the other way around. So what's Davaida? Kibaracham. Sorry, I can't engage you. I see you. I observe you. But I really can't engage you now. This is, it's not going to work that way. And it's not easy to do. Because Mitzrayim lures you in. Come on, come on, let's talk for another few minutes. This is one of the first steps of real spiritual growth. And each one of us has it in our own life. I mean, you have to find this in your own life, but it's probably not so hard to find in your life. Let's say something will happen in my life. And I will perceive it as a failure. And I'll feel very bad about it. And the brain does not stop talking about it. The thoughts say, oh, so you failed, you failed, you failed. And then, no, it wasn't so bad. No, it was pretty bad. No, it wasn't so bad. No, it was pretty bad. No, I'm more mature. It doesn't really, these things don't really affect me. Oh, oh, they do, they do. <laughs> you were a real failure. You were... <laughs> Oh, why am I even doing this type of work? <laughs> yeah, because you're an idiot. No, I'm not such an idiot. Oh, but somebody just sent me a text. It's a nice compliment. Oh, so I'm not an... Nah, what does that person know? That person is also an idiot. Do you know how the brain does this? You could sit like this for two hours. You could sit like this for five hours. You could sit like this your whole life. You're in an argument with Parai. <laughs> you're in an argument with Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim is addiction. Mitzrayim is confinement. Mitzrayim keeps you stuck. What do you have to do? Kivarachaam. That's why it says it in Yiddish. You understand? This is an antlafen for Mitzrayim. If you don't run away from Egypt because you're a perfect guy, you run away from Egypt despite that you're imperfect. Despite that a part of you never ran away. Because if a part of you, because if all of you would be out of it, you wouldn't have to run. You could walk. The reason I have to run is because a part of me is not ready to leave. Because a part of me is toxic. Do not get entangled with your sitra No debates. Sorry. <laughs> I'll debate those who want to see my success. I will not debate those who just want to keep me in a debate for eternity in order to paralyze me. I'm happy to debate if there's going to be a resolution to the debate in an hour. But if this debate is going to go on for the next 99 years, sorry, I don't have time to show up. I got a life to live and a world to change. That's the key. If you're having an argument with your mind that's going to be solved in a half an hour, no problem. But those are not the arguments you're having. 
Those arguments is, there's a thought like this, there's a thought like this, there's different perspectives, let's figure it out, and we'll learn for the next time. You know, sometimes a business meeting, people meet, they discuss something that happened, and the focus is the future. What do we learn from this? How do we make men's? How do we go to that? That's fine. That's fine. But when the purpose of the debate is not the resolution, the purpose of the debate is that your mind does not want to give you peace. There are voices in me that want to keep me lured into this orbit. I should remain here. I should never be able to flex my muscles and get out. Now, you have to run away. And this is represented by the Jewish people. It says they ran from Egypt. Because the obvious question is they didn't have to run. Pari gave them permission. The pshat is, even if Pari gave them permission, they still had to run because there was a little Pari inside of them. And when there's a little Pari inside of me, as fast as I run, Pari is running with me. And because he's running with me, therefore, I have to run. Because there's a part in me that wants to keep me trapped and confined in the Metzarim of Mitzrayim. Even though there was toxicity in full intensity, they still had the courage to run. And then there were 51 days till Matan And this is known, this is known as the era of Sphira Rabbeinu Nisim at the end of Pesachim Deiran says, B'Shem Medrash HaGod, She'inyin Tzvidesayim, Meru L'Zeichem Asher Safri Yisrael Azasiyam Madmatan Tairam. The reason we count every every year 49 days is because the Jews were counting the days from leaving Egypt until Har Sinai, till Matan Tairam. The Mizem Muvan Degam B'Shana Rishayna, K'Shayotso Yisrael M'Mitzrayim, Ha'isa Havayda D'Svidesayim. This means even the first year there was the Avaidah, they were looking forward, they were anticipating. So why do you say it was just a gift from above and it didn't have to do with their own Avaidah? It was just something that came from above. That's not true. They ran away from Egypt, they have to run away from Pari. This was an active decision that was emotional and psychological and spiritual. And then they counted 49 days, which means they were growing into it, they were preparing for it, they were anticipating it. It says that's all true. It's still called Matantaira. Not Kabbalah Satayna. Zman Matan Tayrasin. After all their work, Matan Tayr is defined as a gift. Because what they got at Matan Tayr was something that was completely not comparable with what they put in. They did work. They did a lot of work. They ran from Egypt. No small feat. They prepared for 49 days, which we call Sphira Sa'imer. No small feat. But from this work, you cannot reach in 40, in 51 days. You cannot transform yourself from being submerged in 49 gates of impurity to a revelation of Matan where Hashem comes down on our Sinai and says, Anoichi Hashem face to face, I am your God. So therefore to say that the Avoida of Svira Sa'im and the Avoida of Kibarach Ha'am is what brought Matan it's like when I put in my work and I get a wage for what I did, here the wage is completely transcendent, way and above the work that I put in. It's a completely different experience, completely from above. So after all the work I put in, it was not possible that in such a period of time, there should be such a metamorphosis to be able to say, ah, now we are really ready and open for Matan That's why we call it Pesach. Pesach means to jump, to leap over. Leap over, why is that the name? It's a strange name, Pesach, leap over, jump, Hashem jumped over the, the doors. Like, what's the concept here? The concept is, there's something called walking, which is gradual growth. We call it incremental growth. Step by step by step. You know, you're climbing a mountain. You go on a hike, and you're climbing. You go step by step by step, and it gets steeper, and it gets harder. And ultimately, you come to the top. There's a concept called leaping. Leaping means... I leap over huge spaces, geographical spaces or spans of time that usually incremental growth would require 
much, much more time, much more mental work to be able to get to the top of the mountain. But here there was a leap that in 47 weeks, a nation of slaves who for hundreds of years were not independent people, they were slaves on every level, physically and emotionally and psychologically. They were completely submerged in the life of slavery with tremendous persecution to the point that they their whole freedom was taken from them and in such a short period of time they should be able to stand at the mountain and experience, not just see, experience the divine revelation of Anoich Hashem this is not something that you could say is a wage that came as a result of my work. As much as I put in the work, there was something here that was absolutely fantastic, a, a nuclear revelation completely beyond the capacity of the human to deserve it through his or her efforts. That's why we call it Matan At the end of the days, it remains a gift. What we're saying here is that the concept of Torah is one that comes from above and it descends downward. But it's essentially something that begins above. The concept of Torah is God communicating His infinite wisdom and truth to the person. Irrelevant where the person is. Irrelevant where their space is. What does it mean to learn Torah? Just that this is true by Matan Torah, the first year, it's true about Torah throughout history. What does it mean to learn Torah? It's irrelevant where I'm standing in life. Torah is actually God speaking to me. That's what Torah is. That's what, that's how Jews understood the concept of Torah. When I'm learning Torah, Hashem is communicating to me. How much do I hear? Oh, different people are in different spaces. Some people have a lot of static. Some people's antennas are more fine-tuned and they can absorb it. We all know you can hear the same shear a year Earlier and a year later, you heard a different shear. Why? There was less static. You can hear things more. You can absorb, absorb things more. So Torah is really divine communication. It's divine wisdom. Wherever you are in the world, wherever I am, it's really inviting me into a relationship, even if I am just idle and undeserving and really in not such a good space. Torah is... God sharing His truth. That's what it is. It's literally reaching out. It's the hand that reaches out, milmaila from upward, and it goes downward. And the Torah, as we know, has descended, because the Torah deals a lot with, the Torah is divine wisdom, but it's manifested in material ideas. How Most halachas relate to the material world. Whether it's money, or it's grain, or it's, or it's wool, or it's wood, any aspect of halacha. And sometimes the Torah will discuss lies. Yeah, you'll discuss Reuven and Shimon come to court. They're having a disputation about a thousand dollars. Reuven says this, Shimon says this. One of them must be lying. How do we figure out who's the liar? Do we make an oath? Are there witnesses? Is there a migui? So the Torah is l'cha'ida dealing with the nitty gritty of human corruption. Still, any level it addresses, even when it addresses lies and deceptions, Taita brings in a bitl. It, it's the divine perspective on the situation. In other words, the Taita never, it talks about corruption, but it never becomes entangled in corruption. It remains pure. The bitl that it brings into the world is not only bitl ayash, it's a bitl atzmi. Meaning that Agamshin is slapsha binyanam tachtoinim biyoisim mekolma koimayesha atayde bebchinas gili milmaila. But even shamate in a tefes makam klal, lacheni pay elas bechol madregish in a slapsha ba bitl atzma. Because the Torah is a divine revelation, 
and in a way that it doesn't consider where the person below is. Therefore, wherever it arrives, it introduces that bittel, that complete, pure, godly perspective. An example for this would be the manna from heaven, bread. The Gemara says in Yuma that the Jews didn't have to go to the bathroom when they ate the man. Why? The food, its nutritious value and quality was throughout. There was no part of it that had to be separated and ejected from the human system. Usually when we eat food bred from earth, there is the part that could be converted into the bloodstream. There's the part that's converted into glucose. There's the part that's converted into fat. And then there's the part the body says, I have find no nutritious value and therefore I have to eject you. This is called the psoilus. The leftovers, the dirt. And that's why the person has to move their bowels. That's the system the Rebbeinu Shalom created for humans, for animals, for living organisms. The man was bred from heaven. It has no psoilus. But one second, I'm eating it. And my body is taking it apart, and my body is digesting it, but it still remains heavenly bread. Even though it becomes human bread, human fodder, and the human in some ways is an animal. Nonetheless, the man retained its pristine qualities even when it was digested by a person. Taita is a metaphor for that, because the generation that received the Taita was the generation that ate the man. The Gemarist, the Mechilta says, the Taita was given precisely to the generation that ate the man. It remains heavenly bread. heavenly bread. It's divine energy. It remains pristine. It can go down. It can descend. It can be digested by people. And it can be discussing corruption. Much of the Gemara, much of Allah deals with lies, with deceptions, with delusions, with trickery, with civil strife. But the Torah doesn't assume the dirt of the corruption. Why? It remains heavenly bread. Because it's the divine perspective on life. It's wearing those glasses that are immune to the corruption, even though I could see everything. And I'm talking about it, I'm even telling you how to deal with it from a halachic perspective. But the Torah remains untouchable. It remains pristine even as it comes down. So what do we mean Torah is Momayla Lamata? Not just that it you know, came down on a ladder, it started upwards. It means it always remains above even when it comes down. That's what Torah is. Torah is God inviting you to his classroom. You want to hear my lecture? Come here. You may be able to hear it, you may not be able to hear it. You may be too toxic to hear anything. You may be too confused, you may be too bewildered. But wherever you are, you could listen. And even if you're not going to get it today, you may get it tomorrow. And even if you're in a difficult place, you're hearing words that are not defined by your condition. Rather, they are defining your condition. That's what Torah is. That's the gift of Torah. The gift of Tefillah is the exact opposite. The gift of tefillah is all about your condition. <laughs> the exact opposite. Torah is, Hashem invites you into His classroom. Look, you, listen. We'll talk about everything. I'll talk about where you are now also. But I'm not going to get entangled by you. It never gets defined by you. You don't define it. It defines you. It's lechem and hashemayim. The idea of tefillah is the exact opposite. The idea of Torah is milmaila lamata, and even when it comes down lamata, it remains milmaila. It remains pristine. It never gets dirty. It never gets corrupt. It never gets psilos. There are people that can use Torah in a wrong way, but that's already their own manipulation of it. But the Torah itself remains pristine. The Gemara says in Brachas Chavbeis, Torah is not makabel tum. It's like fire. Tefillah is the exact opposite. Tefillah is, I bring in my, my stuff. My baggage. Tefillah is the exact opposite of Torah. Tefillah is Malmata Lamaila. Tefillah is, I'm the one who's, who's presenting. Which one is more important? Each one is indispensable to life. There's the opportunity in life to be able to hear truth. Wherever you are, just to hear truth. You'll get it, you won't get it. You're mixed up, you're confused, you're abused, you're traumatized. Okay, you'll get a little bit. 
But you hear it, you get to hear truth. You get to see a sunrise and a sunset, even if you're busy, if, even if you're not in the space where you can appreciate it. But you get to see heaven. You get exposed to a truth that transcends you, that is very healthy, it's very vital in life. That's Taira. Milmaila Lamata, and it remains Lamaila. It opens you up to the world of Lamaila, to the divine lenses on the world. That's what Taira is. Exposure to God's lenses. Tefillah, we're going to see, is the exact opposite notion. Tefillah is, God says, now let me hear what you have to say. What's going on in you? Tefillah is where I bring in my issues, my limits. The more vulnerable, the better. The more messy, the better, because the more real. I don't mean the more messy you are, the more better it is. I mean the more messy, the more real. A therapist once told me, I asked him, do you know in the first session if it's going to be successful or not? So he said something very deep. He said, if the patient has the answers in the first session, if he knows too much about his life, if he has it figured out, it's not a good sign. (laughs) If he's all over the place, it's a complete mess, it's a pretty good sign. Because it's not controlled. So it's two very opposite notions, as we will see in the continuation of the Mimer, which we will uh, resume, Ezer Hashem, Thursday, 7.30 a.m. I'm going to take a few questions now. Somebody is quoting here from Lakuta Torah Parshas Tzav that Tzvira Sa'imer was Isarusa de Lusata. Yes, that's true. But that's what this Maimer is saying. As much avoided that there was in Tzvira Sa'imer to say that in seven short weeks between Pesach and Shavuos, Jews were ready for Matan Torah and that Matan Torah was like a wage that I earned through my labor. That's not the case. Ultimately, there was something so beyond them that as much work as they put in, which is important and vital, because without that work, they couldn't have even been present. You have to put in work, even for Torah. you got to show up. God could lecture all day. If you don't show up, you won't get anything. I have to show up. I have to remove myself from some static. But as much as I remove from myself, I'm not really deserving of this type of revelation, meaning I'm not there yet. Not deserving in the sense that he wants to give it to you. You're wonderful, but it means I'm not deserving, meaning it's beyond me. I would have never reached it with my own kalim. With my own brain power, I would have never reached this truth. What is, how do you know, how do you know you're learning real taita? How do you know you're learning real taita? How do you know you're sitting at a real teacher of Torah. How do you know the message is a real message of Torah? This is always the principle. The principle always, the cardinal principle is I hear something, or I read something, and I know that I didn't deserve to hear this. I didn't deserve it. What do I mean I didn't deserve it? It was something that, it's something beyond me. It's something that transcends me. It's something that I say, wow, this is a gift. If not, I didn't get the tired of it. It's not just, I worked hard, I worked hard, okay, I came up with this idea, I came up with this idea. I came up. When are you touching Torah? It's man, it's heavenly bread. And I'm like, wow, that was a gift. That was a divine revelation. That's what Torah is. On every level, that's what Torah is. Now I know some of you don't know what I'm talking about, I know that. <laughs> But you'll understand. One day you'll understand. Just listen. <laughs> That's the point. You have to listen. You have to show up. Show up. You want it. You know what, what people, people come to a shir. They want to understand everything. They want it to change their lives. It's not Torah. You have to show up. You have to listen. Sometimes it's good to listen and not understand the word. Better than understanding. Because understanding means you probably didn't understand. And not understanding, at least you understood. You understood enough that you didn't understand. <laughs> when I understand, sometimes it's the worst thing because I reduced it to my own limited experience, which is probably not even true. I took heavenly bread and I turned it into carbs. 
If it remains heavenly bread, there's something startling about it. There's something beyond about it. That's exactly what you want. And the more and more, the more you show up, the more you'll get it. But in Torah, you learn, when I learn Torah, there's always something that's, there's a shocker. There's a transcendent energy. There's something that's above my vessels, above my faculties. Now you might say you never heard such Torah. Okay, you may have never heard Torah. You may have only gotten heaven, earthly bread, not heavenly bread. When you hear real Torah, it's like, I remember we once learned a mimer Shabbos morning and look at the Torah. There was a person sitting there, talented person and an educated person, and a person educated in, uh, in spiritual disciplines and in philosophy and also in many psychological schools of thought. And he came over to me after the shir. And he says, I want to ask you one question. So I thought he was going to ask, you know, something pshat. He said, how did Al-Tarebbe know this? <laughs> Where did he get this from? <laughs> he had a secret book somewhere in a cave. Where did he get this from? I saw that he understood I saw he understood this is a different energy. It's a different energy. It's called elokos. It's called divine energy. Now, I know that some people hearing what I'm saying, like, what is he talking about? I don't know. I learned Aleph Beis. I learned Chumash. I learned Mishnais. I learned Gemara. Yeah, they explained the Pasuk. They told me that God said the Pasuk. You didn't have access to Torah. You had access to information, to data, which is also Torah. Access to Torah means access to heavenly bread, something that remains heavenly. By definition, it always sweeps you off your feet. Tefillah is the exact opposite. Tefillah is, I bring me into the relationship. I don't suspend myself. I bring me into the relationship. Next question. The Torah can be divided in several ways. Part of Torah is our relationship with Hashem. Part of Torah is our relationship with other people. For sure, Torah has many parts. Torah has parts of our relationship with Hashem, our relationship with other people, and all of the halachas. Whatever part of Torah you're dealing with, Torah is a giluyalakos, that's what it is. Very hard to keep going when you are confused. Please give chizuk to keep us going. That's why we learn together and we try to be mechazek each other. And every time a person learns, you're, you're lifting up, you're opening up your antennas to hear something. And, and the most important thing is to show up and to hear, to actually hear, to listen. And to listen is not easy. To listen to the... It says in Taz, we say every day, Baruch HaTashem L'Kenu Malachim HaShabacharbonu M'Kolam M'Rasalona Stars Baruch HaTashem Noisein HaTayra What's Nosan Atayda? He gives Taida. He doesn't give, he gave. Nosan Atayda. We say Nosan Atayda Lashen Hoiva. Because the Jewish perspective of Taida is that it's always given. The Baal Shem Tev once said an amazing thing. He said, Matan Taida, we said in Vashan, and Kol Gadol Vela Yosef. One of the interpretations is the voice never ceased. He says, Matan Taida never stopped. Matan Torah never stopped. Matan Torah continued and continues. So what's the difference between Sinai and now? We stopped hearing. Or we stopped listening. Torah is always being given. Noisin HaTorah, right now he's giving Torah. Matan Torah is happening right now. You say, really? So why am I on Zoom? Why am I not at Mount Sinai? You are at Mount Sinai. Your couch is part of Mount Sinai. Your dining room table is part of Mount Sinai. We're at Mount Sinai. I stopped listening. I stopped hearing. That's the only difference. Matan Taita continues. The communication continues. But if I have so much static and so much disruption in my brain, I can't hear. So what is Taita? Taita is suspending everything, clearing up, clearing up my system, and just tuning in to the divine lecture. That's what Zoom is. you got to zoom in. 
You got to zoom in. You got to zoom in to the to the energy, and it's always there. It's flowing. It's flowing. It's flowing. The question is, how much static do I have? That's so. What is Torah? Torah is always that that heavenly flow, that heavenly perspective. It's that ongoing, you know, talk. We'll have the we have talk shows, right? They talk. They talk. They talk. They talk. Matan Torah is God's communication to the world. And we are privy to be able to open up a safer or open up our ears and hear it and read it and perceive it wherever we are in the world. Sometimes I'm in the dumps. I could still hear it. I'll hear it in a different way. No question. Depends where I am. That's how much I'll hear. But I'm privy to hear it. And whatever I'm hearing, if I'm hearing the third of it, it's always something that is essentially transcendent. It's not something that I could have got on my own. <laughs> I can't. Yes, every person is mechadish. Every person has what to contribute. Every person sees more in Torah. But essentially, there's something at the core of Torah that is transcendent. And then I can add my peace, my creativity to it. That's my chiddush in Torah. Have a beautiful day. 10 o'clock Rambam. Hatzlocha Rabo Muflaga. Stay connected. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.